I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Mechanical bull? Now that's not okay? Well, all right. I guess I'll call it the Mechanical Guardian. It's high noon for Friday, July 23rd, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. And the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. If you're having problems with your browser, just type in shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. And you can find yourself a be reasonable podcast logo t-shirt or an okay commie t-shirt which i truly love and there's a whole bunch more stuff there that you might get a laugh out of or trigger a commie which is even better today is the 184th day of barack obama's third term as served by the half dead demented degenerate ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who was overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You voted for this old decrepit fool and racist because you told everyone that the violence in the streets from Black Lives Matter and Tifa was, quote, Trump's America. But it didn't stop. Kept on going. And now they're starting it up all over again. So apparently this actually might be the communist America that you voted for. And you were just getting a little hint of it when Donald Trump was there. You get the same little hint every time there's an election. Guess who started that? Was it Barack Obama? Sure was. Were they his groups and George Soros' groups doing all that? Sure were. You know who else knows that? Rachel Maddow. And she admits it on television every night, which is why it's so confusing how you all don't already understand that. And we'll get to that. But for those of you who are already like, yeah, I do kind of understand that, uh, Black Lives Matter is really a communist domestic terrorist organization that works hand in hand with Antifa. And I know that they are actually funded and controlled by George Soros and Barack Obama. Yeah, I know it's shocking, but you dealt with it. You figured it out. You accepted the truth. And truths like that are the sorts of things that could lead you down the road to redemption. And if you're ready for that, and you want to migrate back to America, then I would love to extend a warm Friday high noon welcome to all of you redeemable communists out there. Hey, commies, welcome to the show. We're all happy to see you. We all want you to come back to America so that we can all be friends again. But the thing is, in order to do that, you have to let go of all the very stupid and evil child brained 
communist ideas you have bouncing around in your skull like a bunch of little pebbles floating to the bottom of the ocean. And we all know you can do it. You just have to be able to do things like sit here for the next hour and figure out a way not to personalize all of the things I say about the things you think. Okay? Because the things you think are so fantastically wrong that they don't match up to reality at all. Remember, you voted for Joe Biden thinking that you were solving racism. You literally helped to fake elect. You were basically just there for narrative support. But the man you helped fake elect was mentored by a legitimate Klansman named Robert Byrd, who he actually named in his town hall the other night for some reason. And I know that sounds strange to you. You never thought, oh, hey, I'm going to vote for the guy who was mentored by a Klansman. He can solve racism. But you did it. You really did do that. That's a thing you did. And I'm not misdescribing it. You actually thought that Joe Biden was going to solve racism. You ignored the fact that he was mentored by a Klansman. You figured, oh, that Klansman, he must have come around to where I am on race. And the truth is, Kami, you're exactly right. But that doesn't say something good about where he is on race. It says something bad about where you are because your politics divide people on racial lines. And then you try to find people to oppress. That's the problem. The Democrat Party has always been the party of racism. I know there's this whole cultural effort to make sure you don't ever understand that. And it's been successful to this point. And you see, the thing is, all of us understand that about you. And that's why we're not out there saying that you should be rounded up or any of that crazy nonsense that you guys say. We just want you to realize where you're wrong and figure out how to make it right individually. It's not on you to solve all the problems of the world. It's only on you to understand where you went wrong and how it happened and then try to walk that back as fast as you can so that you can migrate back to America and we can have a country again rather than this fast slide into dystopian communism, which is exactly what's going on. I don't know if you all have seen pictures or video from the Olympic opening ceremony this morning, which I guess is tonight in Japan, or maybe it's last night. I don't know how time works, but it is the most dystopian and disturbing thing ever. They came out and did basically a Broadway musical in front of zero people in the stadium. It might have seemed more natural and projected less of a sense of impending doom if they had actually CGI'd fans into the stands. It was disturbing at minimum. And to cover that up, all the woke outlets are fawning over a dude from Tonga who has an oily chest. Because it's okay to talk about that stuff if it's a man, just not if it's a woman. You can't talk about people's bodies if they're women or, you know, somewhere between. 
You can only talk about it if it's a man. And it doesn't matter if it's a man from a black or brown country or, you know, an exotic country. It's no problem to objectify anyone if you're on the right side politically. Another really disturbing video from the opening ceremony was they had like 1800 drones right next to each other that kind of danced in the sky and made a an earth out of it. Yeah, apparently that's entertaining and not scary. <laughs> Imagine looking up in the sky and there just being 1800 drones in formation. Safe, right? But I think we can all agree that at this point in the progress of this situation, one of our main goals should be avoiding as many features of dystopia as possible. And if you're thinking, yeah, that sounds right. Well, congratulations. You're on our side because the commie side is the side that's creating all of these elements of dystopia and another element of dystopia, which we are being flat out told we're about to see is street violence. And they're going to justify it this year with, well, rather than a killing of a black man by a police officer, they're going to go for the voting thing. Although we can imagine they might get a killing by a police officer in there somewhere. But let's set this up properly, as Rachel Maddow does, because I think that she's doing something that is really creepy and really destructive. And she's doing it out in the open, so no one is really noticing it. So let's check out what her little process was last night. And remember, Republicans are trying to suppress the votes of black people while Democrats are saying the only way to protect the vote of these imaginary suppressed and disenfranchised black people is by making sure that as many options as possible are available for stealing elections. As the Bremen Center reports today, is a shared predicate with Republican legislators all across the country who so far this year have passed, not just introduced, but passed 30 new laws restricting the right to vote. Here's the Brennan Center today, quote, as of July 14th, 18 different states have enacted 30 new laws so far in 2021 that make it harder for Americans to vote. In the same time period, zero states have produced evidence of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. Okay, so the Brennan Center is funded by George Soros. That's who Rachel Maddow is taking all this information from. And she is repeating the context of it. Of course, I'm not saying she doesn't agree with it and she's just being fed lines. I'm sure she is actually this much of a communist. But let's remember the source of this information. And let's also remember that there is absolutely proof of voter fraud and election fraud all over the country. It doesn't matter how many times she says it. And it doesn't matter that the commies don't agree yet. And just a tangent for a second. This evidence thing, I talked about it a little bit the other day, 
But it is actually crazy, the standard of evidence here and the standard of evidence that even people on our side require to feel good. Everyone is like, yeah, well, I know that there's proof of election fraud and I believe it, but all these people around me don't believe it and the news doesn't say it. And so we need more proof. Well, okay, maybe. Or maybe you need to convince the people around you that the mainstream media saying something isn't the standard of proof. Okay? There are going to be some people who do not ever accept that the election was stolen. You have to understand that. You cannot allow your mood and your knowledge and your confidence in what you're seeing to be influenced by these people. Okay. You have to have faith in yourself, the work you've done, the understanding you have of the situation and not be thrown off by these people because you're subjecting yourself now to their standard of proof and their standard of proof for some of them is going to be impossible to meet. They want to know from people like Rachel Maddow and people on the mainstream media, they want them to say, yes, the election was definitely stolen. And they want those people to supply a narrative so that they won't look stupid by accepting it. That is going to be a really tough point to reach. And it's going to be a reason why these people will never believe it. It doesn't matter what they're shown. They're not going to believe it because they have been so mean and so ignorant the entire time. They're not going to figure out a way that they can walk that back for the sake of their ego. So they are just going to double down and triple down and keep going. You got to ignore it. You got to leave it alone. Something being said on CNN is not any standard of truth. In Iowa and Montana, they have reduced the hours and the location of polling places. Oh, no. Reduced hours. It's not like they're reducing it on Election Day. Okay. There is ample time for everyone to vote. Early voting made sense to help people initially. I think everybody was on board with that idea. But early voting now is simply a way for them to tally up as many votes as they can and figure out who on the voter registries has voted and has not voted. And the number of people who have not voted is the number of people whose votes they can steal. And that's why they want it. Okay, it is not a hindrance and it is not voter disenfranchisement to reduce the hours of polling places in early voting. That's insane. Also, reducing the number of polling locations. That's exactly what the communists did last year. They got rid of all the local polling places and instead they opened up polling centers. They did this in Los Angeles. I used to walk two blocks down the street to vote. That's what I did in the primary last year. In the general, I had to drive to the Hollywood Bowl and park at the Hollywood Bowl and cast my vote on a machine where it didn't feed into the scanner the first time. And the poll worker said, oh, don't worry about that. Just make sure it has the right names on it. And then we'll take it to this other scanner. Can I be sure that my vote was tallied accurately? Not at all.
That's voter disenfranchisement, Rachel Maddow. They reduced the number of polling locations and got rid of the neighborhood polling locations so that all the voting and therefore all the counting was done in one big place where a massive number of votes would all be processed. They did this all over the country. Let's think about the places where the most cheating happened. State Farm Arena in Atlanta and the TCF Center in Detroit. Those are two of the main ones. There is no reason why we should have been voting in arenas. They set that up with Mark Cuban and the NBA owners, and they set it up with LeBron James and More Than a Vote, which is a subsidiary of Rock the Vote. And they turned these places into hubs of election cheating. And by the way, Rock the Vote has access to the voter registries through a public-private partnership. That's bad. And I really do hope that LeBron James goes down for all this, because he should. In Florida and Georgia and Indiana and Iowa, they've limited the number and the location and the availability of drop boxes for ballots. Drop boxes, really? The drop boxes are all from the Center for Tech and Civic Life. That's Mark Zuckerberg. He funded them. They chose the locations for them. That happened last year and last year alone. And the reason was because of COVID, just like everything else. People can't get to their own mailboxes, so they have to go to a mailbox further away, apparently. <laughs> your mailbox is at your house. Instead of putting it in that mailbox, why don't you go to a mailbox somewhere else? Except it's not a mailbox. It's just an unmonitored drop box that we can leave there and we can continue picking up votes for days or maybe even weeks after the election. And they did exactly that. There is no reason to have those drop boxes anywhere. States outlawing those drop boxes is not voter disenfranchisement, not by any measure. In Georgia and Iowa, they have cut early voting. Just talked about early voting, but there are actually commie states that have less early voting than Georgia. And if I'm not mistaken, one of them is Joe Biden's commie state, Delaware. In Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Oklahoma, they've shortened the time you get to apply for a mail ballot. In Arkansas, they've also shortened the amount of time you have to get that ballot back in. Remember the Carter Baker Commission. Mail-in voting is the style of voting most open to fraud and abuse. Rachel Maddow wants to make that easier. We don't have the pandemic, right? All the mail-in balloting, that was for the pandemic because people have to be safe. They can't leave their houses or else they might die. Making mail-in balloting more secure should be the number one priority. Getting rid of mail-in balloting completely should be the number one priority, except in circumstances where someone actually needs an absentee ballot. But that's not even what she's talking about. Regardless, if you want to vote by mail, apply in the window. Once you get the ballot, fill it out and return it. It's not that hard. You don't need weeks and weeks to do it. Normal people go out of their house, go to the polling place and fill out their ballot on a specified day. You already have more time than anyone could possibly need just by doing the mail thing at all. In Arizona and Florida, they'll be kicking people off the absentee voter lists. Uh, yeah, duh. 
Why wouldn't you do that? You're just absentee forever. You're always absent. That doesn't even make sense. You should have to apply for absentee status every single election. If you're absent. That is the most obvious thing ever. I don't even see how anyone could complain about that. If you genuinely need to vote absentee, then you need to apply every year to prevent election fraud, to prevent cheating. That is so obvious. Again, the only goal should be making cheating as hard as possible while making sure that no one is actually disenfranchised. Real people. In Arizona, Iowa, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, Texas, Utah, they'll be expanding voter purges, kicking people off the voter rolls entirely. Yes, every state's voter rolls should be purged of people who have died or moved or have other reasons why they are not eligible to vote with the registration currently on the books. But doing that makes it much, much harder for the communists to cheat. And that's why she doesn't want it. There is no justification whatsoever for keeping people who are ineligible to vote according to that registration on the rolls. There's no argument there whatsoever. In Florida, Georgia, Montana, Arkansas, New Hampshire, Wyoming, there's new harsher, stricter, narrower voter ID requirements. Again, harsher, stricter, narrower is how she's describing it so that you have an emotional reaction. Why are they making it so hard? They're not making it hard. They're making it safer. And 80 plus percent of black voters in this country agree with that. So what she's really saying is those black people don't realize that they're getting tricked. That's not true. And yes, in Florida and Georgia, they're banning water or any food or snacks for anyone in line, no matter how long the line gets, no matter how hot it is that day, no matter how old the waiting voter is. And of course, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is making it so that these nonprofit Voter support groups and candidates groups can't set up little tables within 150 feet of the entrance to the polling location or within 25 feet of the line to go into the polling location. They're just trying to keep political organizations from electioneering at the polls. That's it. Okay, that's all. And they'll try to describe it as. This happens mostly in black communities, but no, it doesn't. It applies to everywhere. A better way to understand this is that those communities are where the communists are focusing the electioneering. That's where they try to focus their influence campaigns on election day. And that's who they are targeting. So Rachel Maddow is doing her best and the Brennan Center, the Soros Brennan Center are doing their best to make it seem like there is this massive countrywide attack on the ability and right to vote. That is obviously not the case, but what else are they going to do? And the examples she just gave, the examples the Soros Brennan Center just gave are their best examples. Okay, those are the best examples they have 
that somehow Republicans are trying to restrict the ability of Americans to vote when all they're doing is restricting the ability of the communists and the uniparty to cheat. And the truth is that none of that goes nearly far enough. And it's pretty odd that she left out ballot harvesting that has been outlawed in many places. Or perhaps they've found out that there is no support for ballot harvesting anywhere. But now that they've identified the enemy all over the country, what are they planning to do about it? So after she complains about Joe Manchin for a little while, she goes into this. As we've been reporting for the past couple of weeks, that impasse in Washington is so so unacceptable to so many people who are clamoring to protect the right to vote against this onslaught in the states, who are finding a new purpose in their life that what they ought to be working on right now is trying to protect the right to vote against the worst high to voter restriction we have seen in generations. There's such a clamor to do that. There's such desperation to do that that we are now seeing the start of a a high summer of direct action, peaceful, nonviolent civil disobedience Mm -hmm. in Washington and elsewhere that's designed to try to change the game, to try to make a new way possible, to try to unblock this impasse by finding a way into the conscience of the country and the conscience of lawmakers on this issue. Today, it was a group of about 50 lawmakers and activists and civil rights leaders, most of them African-American men, who gathered in front of the steps to the U.S. Supreme Court. There were members of Congress, state lawmakers from Texas, civil rights advocates, call, calling on the federal government to, to step up, to find a way to protect the right to vote for all Americans, to get the For the People Act passed. They gave speeches there where they started, and then a group of those activists and lawmakers and leaders, they left the steps of the Supreme Court. They marched to one of the U.S. Senate's office buildings. They held signs, they chanted, no justice, no peace said, this is what democracy looks like. When they arrived at the Senate office building, they stood in a line in front of the door, momentarily blocking anyone from coming in or out. It was an act of civil disobedience. They said, the filibuster has to go. They said, if we don't get it, shut it down. And you see that police officer there kind of pacing in front of them. That's how you know there were about to be arrests. Um, eventually the arrest started, and, and even so, the protesters kept chanting while they were handcuffed, waiting, in handcuffs, waiting to be loaded into the police vans. They're doing a kind of call and response to the people watching from the sidewalk saying, black voters, they matter here. Ten people were arrested today, including a member of Congress. That's Georgia Congressman Hank Johnson. So he was among those arrested today, put in handcuffs, hauled away by police. Hank Johnson is the second sitting member of Congress to be arrested in the past week for participating in direct action, a nonviolent civil disobedience around voting rights. Last week, you'll remember our coverage, it was Ohio Congresswoman Joyce Beatty arrested in the lobby of that same Senate office building. Today's protest was organized by the group Black Voters Matter. If you noticed, it was black women leading that protest last week, black men leading it today. Okay, you got all that? There was a very peaceful protest. This is starting. This is the beginning of a high summer of direct action, but only peaceful direct action. Don't worry. It's all very peaceful. And this protest was organized by a group called Black Voters Matter. Would you like to guess who funds 
black voters matter. George Soros. George Soros also funds the group that had the protest last week that Maddow highlighted, the Poor People's Campaign. And the other group she highlighted was Barack Hussein Obama's Indivisible. Okay, so the groups that are doing this direct action are directed by George Soros and Barack Obama. That's not a conspiracy. Those are really the people who run these groups. And Rachel Maddow is highlighting these groups. And she's also highlighting the Soros Brennan Center. She also made sure to point out that there are two members of Congress who have been arrested in the last week for the direct action. Joyce Beatty, a black woman, and Hank Johnson, a black man. And the direct action is all being carried out by predominantly black groups. She's made sure to say all of those things. None of those groups are the BLM Antifa domestic terrorists. These are other groups that are organized and funded by George Soros and Barack Obama. But I want to focus on who's arresting these people. Okay, you can watch the video and you will see that these are the U.S. Capitol Police performing these arrests. Now, I don't think anyone believes that Joyce Beatty or Hank Johnson is going to spend time in jail or be convicted for any sort of crime. There are all sorts of photographers taking pictures of this whole process, and they look like very powerful civil rights leaders as they're being shuffled into the paddy wagon. Now, the Capitol Police, as we've discussed multiple times, are run by the Congress, by Nancy Pelosi. That is where the Capitol Police get their orders. And the Capitol Police are not subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. So nothing they do is ever subject to public scrutiny. And so what are we to think of this situation? Okay, we have Rachel Maddow communicating George Soros's Brennan Center's point of view on what constitutes voter suppression and voter disenfranchisement. And then we have groups that are funded and directed by Soros and Obama engaging in a high summer of direct action that is, of course, all peaceful and will certainly never escalate. And they are getting arrested by Capitol Police who will never have to answer to anyone. And the Congress people arrested are not going to ever have to be convicted of some sort of crime. So it should be obvious to everyone that this is purely staged. And why are they staging it? Okay. And my guess is that they are setting the narrative for the summer of escalating direct action. The country is largely sick of the Black Lives Matter Antifa style domestic terrorism. And we can see that based on that Rasmussen polling the other day that says that more Americans are interested in having those riots examined than having a commission for the January 6th very, very violent insurrection. 
So they're basically just subbing in new groups, presenting them all as very peaceful and also, of course, very righteous and justified in their goals. And then they're pretending that there is some racist state action that is trying to silence these very peaceful protesters. And they're showing that by staging the arrests of these Congress people. And you're welcome to call me a conspiracy theorist rather than just someone who is drawing obvious conclusions from a very certain set of facts. But this all sounds like she's laying the narrative groundwork to another summer where the country is told that violence in the streets is actually very justified, peaceful protest. We know where this is going. We've seen this before. And let's keep all of this stuff in mind. And remember that last year we were told in the run up to the election and then afterward in the Molly Ball article in time that there would be protests and uprisings around the country if the communists did not get the result they wanted from the election. They set all this stuff up in case Trump contested the election, in case there was any doubt about who won. They were ready to go to the streets, Soros, Obama, all of these groups, and they'll put it out there on social media as they always do through the celebrities, through the athletes, through the corporations. They'll make it all seem very justified, very righteous. We're just trying to solve racism. How can you not see that? Yes, we just told you to vote for a man who was mentored by an actual Klansman. But hey, sometimes you have to wear a few hoods in order to make an omelet. So the plan is becoming clear. They're going to lead up and escalate what they're calling direct action. And you can imagine that this will be escalated even further the more information about election fraud comes out. Things like Arizona decertifying, which is being talked about pretty regularly at this point. People like George Papadopoulos are saying it's just a matter of time. I agree. Wendy Rogers is out there doing appearance after appearance where she is demanding decertification right now. And they should decertify. There is no confidence whatsoever in the Arizona result. And then we have the cyber symposium coming up. They're going to need distractions. They're going to want people in the streets. There's no reason anyone on our side should doubt that what they are trying to spark is civil unrest that they can classify as a civil war so that they can further censor, punish, and persecute anyone who expresses political dissent. Maddow's presenting these things as very important civil rights actions. But wait until we see what they become, because she is setting something up here. She's not just reporting the day's news. And these events themselves are obviously set up. All right, now let's switch subjects. Hunter Biden. He's an artist now. And he plans on selling his paintings for up to $500,000 from people who either have 
terrible taste in art or who need political favors and a new way to launder money since Hunter Biden has become less employable, let's say, than he was before. So the White House has gone through a few iterations of what the policy will be on that. Initially, they said that they were going to totally keep the identities of the buyers of the art secret from Joe and Hunter Biden. The gallerist is going to take care of all of that. And then yesterday they came out and said that Hunter Biden would be at the art shows with the buyers, but that he still won't know who's buying the art. So it's all good. The buyers can go meet him and talk to him and they can tell him about their needs in life, of course, in the world. But as long as they don't say, hey, can you do that? And I'm going to buy your art. No big deal. It would be impossible to figure out who bought the art and what favors they need. And you know it's impossible because the gallerist will just never tell them. But Jen Psaki got another question about this today because the initial response was so dumb that not even the White House press corps could let it slide yesterday that he will be meeting with prospective buyers but you also said that he's not going to have any conversation not that he's meeting with prospective buyers that he is attending uh gallery events that had been prior uh prior plans and announced there could be prospective buyers there he's not though those discussions will be happening with the gallus but that is different than meeting with prospective buyers if there are prospective buyers there you said yesterday that he is not going to have any conversations related to the selling of art how can the administration guarantee that the selling of his art will all happen through gallery the gallerists and uh the names and individuals will be kept confidential we will not be aware neither will he be aware is there anything stopping anyone from directly telling though hunter biden that they're going to purchase his art and if they do the american people won't know who they are he will not know we will not know who purchases his art go ahead jeff that's kind of incredible isn't it she understands the question She's just not going to answer the question. The answer she's giving doesn't provide anyone any way to be confident that the buyers of Hunter's artwork won't be expecting political favors in return. And Jen Psaki has actually told people that what they're doing is in the service of transparency. They're going to be transparent with the public by making sure that the public can never know who's paying half a million dollars for Hunter Biden's artwork. But you have to just understand that if we don't know and he doesn't know and no one finds out, then there's just no way for them to launder money through his artwork and get political favors in return. I wonder if we'll find out that some of his paintings actually went for more than $500,000. This is basically the least transparent possible option. And they're asking for Joe and Hunter Biden to just be trusted. It's just an honor system, apparently, for Hunter Biden's artwork. As if the Bidens haven't been corrupt 
for decades. Everyone knows this. And at this point, they're not even trying to hide it. And I just want to go back for a second to Joe Biden's town hall the other night. So he was getting hit from, quote unquote, both sides in the media. There's no one who didn't see that event to be the embarrassing disaster that it was. It turns out the CNN town hall was watched by fewer people than the normal programming on MSNBC and Fox that night. CNN had the fake president on to answer the questions of real Americans and fewer people watched that than Chris Hayes. And yet we are still supposed to believe that somehow Joe Biden got 81 million votes. I guarantee tomorrow more people will watch Donald Trump's speech than watch Joe Biden's town hall that is advertised on television, advertised on television in the mainstream media. And no one watched it. Donald Trump's speech is not advertised anywhere except through conservative communication channels, or I should say maybe MAGA communication channels. The mainstream media is not telling anyone. And there will be more viewers for Trump tomorrow. And it's odd that CNN would continue to subject themselves to this. But you got to think that there is some incentive. You know, they know it's not going to be some like monster in the ratings, right? So what are they doing it for? They must just be doing it to try to get some moments from the town hall that they can play and use as content on CNN to try to enhance the narrative. But let's go back to Jen Psaki for a second and see what the White House's standard for transparency really is, because she always says they have this great commitment to transparency and she always says they have absolutely the highest ethical standards. So between those two things, we should just trust them on everything they say. Go ahead. I'll call Kelly. I'm sorry. I'll come to you next. One, this administration has long claimed that you're trying to get the most transparent history. If that's the case, why won't you just release the number of breakthrough cases that you've had of vaccinated staffers? Well, I think first we're in a very different place than we were six to seven months ago as it relates to the virus. Uh, and as many medical experts have said, inside and outside of the government, uh, those who are vaccinated are protected from serious illness. Most are asymptomatic if they are individuals who are vaccinated who get the virus. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are in a different place uh, in terms of the impact of individuals who may have, as you said, breakthrough cases. But why not just provide the number? Are you trying to hide something? No, but what is the, why do you need to have that information? Case of transparency, the interest of public, understand, having a better understanding of how the breakthrough cases work here in the White House. Well, first, there are uh, the CDC tracks, and let me give you this information too. The CDC tracks across the country, uh, of course, hospitalizations and deaths, as we have seen. They also do a great deal of tracking in cohorts um, and uh, ensure that's only give you a little more information on this. Amazing. The most transparent thing that they can do is not tell people when there are breakthrough cases 
in the White House. And the reason they don't have to tell you is because we're in a different place with the virus now. And the vaccines protect everybody. So why do you even care if there are breakthrough cases? Why are you upset that we're hiding the breakthrough cases? She's basically admitting that there are breakthrough cases and the media and the American public don't deserve to know about them, which only leads me to ask the question, where's Kamala and how was her doctor's appointment the other day? And take note of what she was saying there at the end. She goes on and on to explain what cohorts are. They're tracking people at nursing homes. Don't worry. And they're tracking healthcare workers for breakthrough cases. Don't worry. She just said the CDC is tracking hospitalizations and deaths from COVID. But what didn't she say? She didn't say that the CDC is tracking breakthrough cases. And I've said that a bunch of times. Understand that Jen Psaki just admitted it. Now, a normal person would think, isn't it better if we have all of the information? Wouldn't it be better for our understanding of how the vaccine works and the vaccine's effectiveness if we knew all of the instances of breakthrough cases? Wouldn't we all be better informed that way? No, apparently not. The most transparent answer to that is you're not allowed to know. And what else are we not allowed to know? Well, we're not allowed to know anything about the Democrat governors in five states who intentionally put sick COVID patients into nursing homes. This is from today in the Epic Times. Department of Justice opts against probing Michigan, Pennsylvania nursing home COVID-19 policies. The Department of Justice has chosen not to investigate how the governors of Michigan and Pennsylvania ordered nursing homes to accept residents who had tested positive for COVID-19. Stephen Rosenbaum, a top Department of Justice official, wrote letters on July 22nd to the offices of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, both Democrats, to inform them of the decision. We have reviewed the information you provided along with additional information available to the department. Based on that review, we have decided not to open a CRIPA investigation of any public nursing facility within Michigan at this time. Rosenbaum informed Whitmer in the letter, which was obtained by the Epoch Times. CRIPA refers to the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act. Which sounds like a law that would be trying to protect the people institutionalized in nursing homes from, say, a few communists sending sick people to live with them. There is no word yet on whether or not they'll be pursuing this problem in New York, New Jersey, and California. But I think we can all guess about where that's headed. And now let's talk about sports for a minute, because for my entire life, I have been a massive sports fan and continued to be up until about when sports decided to take a dramatic turn toward communism. And that started primarily last summer, last spring, with the lockdowns, when all the sports shut down. 
And then they came back eventually with empty stadiums and all these ridiculous regulations. They tortured all the players. They made it so that they couldn't leave their hotels. They couldn't see friends. They couldn't go out. They couldn't do anything except survive in their little bubble so that they could still go out and play sports. And that was a loosening on the restrictions. Now, the NFL has decided that if players on a team are unvaccinated and that team has an outbreak of COVID, rather than simply rescheduling games as they did last year, now those games will just be forfeited and the NFL teams will just have to accept a loss on their schedule, which if you know anything about the NFL, each game is pretty important. In baseball, you have 162 games. So one loss here and there, it doesn't affect your overall team as much. An extra loss on an NFL schedule is a really big deal. And of course, none of this has been good for the players. They are being put in an impossible situation. They're being made to look like they are not team players if they refuse to get vaccinated. That's a pretty awful level of coercion by an organization, the NFL, who has a shown very little regard for the safety of their players over the years, but who also had more than its fill of problems from all of the wokeness. In the last 24 hours, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who is a superstar wide receiver now on the Arizona Cardinals, he tweeted about how messed up it was, what the NFL was doing, obviously not wanting to be forced into vaccination. And Leonard Fournette of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tweeted out, vaccine can't do it. And both players have taken those tweets down, obviously because they were pressured by their teams or by the NFL. And we had Cole Beasley a few weeks ago say he wasn't doing it and he was willing to cut his NFL career short if they tried to force him to. It's going to be really interesting to see if there are some star players who just straight up refuse to do it and follow Cole Beasley's lead and say, hey, if it's my career, then it is what it is. But DeAndre Hopkins is a massive superstar and Leonard Fournette is not a superstar, but he's a feature running back and a big name in the NFL. Cole Beasley, as much as I respect his statement and respect him as a man for taking the stand he took, he's not like a first-tier NFL player. So a team might just cut him and be like, meh, all right, if he wants to be that way, fine. He doesn't have a job anymore. Thanks for your service, Cole. But one person has actually taken the stand and dealt with the consequences, and that's uh, Rick Dennison, who is an assistant coach on the Minnesota Vikings. This is from ESPN Today. After refusing to receive a vaccine for COVID-19, Rick Dennison is out as a Minnesota Vikings assistant coach. Dennison served as the Vikings offensive line coach slash run game coordinator the past two seasons. Another coach in the league, New England Patriots co-offensive line coach Cole Popovich, also won't be with his team in 2021 in a decision related to the COVID-19 vaccine and NFL guidelines. League sources confirmed to ESPN. 
The vaccine is required for all tier one staff, including coaches, front office executives, equipment managers and scouts. Players are not required to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, but will face strict protocols during training camp and throughout the season that vaccinated players will be able to forgo. So you can see the calculation that the NFL is making here. They don't care if, if an assistant coach here and there just goes ahead and leaves the league because of these ridiculous regulations on the COVID-19 vaccine. But they exercise more lenience with the players because the players have a much bigger public voice. If they start losing people like DeAndre Hopkins or Leonard Fournette or Tom Brady, the NFL is going to be in a lot of trouble. That's going to be a major embarrassment to the league. And I've talked about this before, but this sounds like one of those instances where the organization in power is trying to bluff everyone or threaten everyone into compliance. I guess it remains to be seen if they're going to have the balls to actually go through with this. If some top talent really takes a stand against it, we shall see. What we're watching is nothing more than cultural coercion. It's just another way to divide people. Just wait till we get to the point in the season where some team actually has to forfeit a game and all of the sports media and the league and the commie fans are going to say, well, it's their fault for not getting vaccinated. It's that guy's fault. It's that guy's fault. It's that guy's fault. And they will do that. And then anyone who they know isn't vaccinated in terms of their friends or other fans, they're going to say it's all of your fault, too, because you all support this. And now our team isn't in the playoffs. I hope you're happy about it. Sports are supposed to be fun. They're supposed to bring people together. That's why it's fun to watch them. You go to a bar with your friends. You all root for the same team. That's fun. I mean, you might not think it's fun. I think it's fun. Most people think it's fun. That's why they're so popular. They are taking all of the fun out of it. I don't even know if I can watch the NFL. I haven't watched a single pitch of Major League Baseball this year. And I mean, it's baseball, so I don't really miss it that much. NBA, not a bit. But the NFL, man, you know, it was bad enough when Kaepernick was out there and then the league was supporting Kaepernick, but that was still just the league, right? It's not all the players being morons. It was the league. Now it's getting to the point where it's unavoidable that continuing to support the league is in some way supporting this communist nonsense. And it's, as a sports fan, it's just so disappointing because I don't want to boycott the NFL, but they're making me. And it really is sad how much of our collective culture is being stripped away based on this intentional division that is coming from the top down. The people never wanted to divide on these lines. This is generated by the media and the culture.
And it's just so disappointing. But in the interest of not ending the show on that note, we can all be excited that Trump will be having another massive speech tomorrow, Saturday. It's supposed to happen around 6 p.m. Eastern, which probably means it'll be 6.30 or 7. But it will have been two weeks since the last one, and a lot has happened since then. So I expect we're going to get some good news throughout the weekend. And I'm still keeping an eye on this McAfee thing. Nothing happened last night when the countdown ended. A new countdown popped up that was eight hours, 13 minutes, and 35 seconds later, apparently. And so that would have made it 11.13 a.m. Eastern Time today. And there have been some rumblings. I haven't confirmed this yet, and I'm not honestly sure if I am going to be able to figure it out. I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a crypto NFT guy. My knowledge is very limited, so I haven't gone into it yet. But people are saying that the dead man switch has been triggered and that all of the 31 terabytes of data and information about the deep state and whatever else are now available. So I'm looking forward to seeing if that plays out this weekend or, you know, it could be another one of those things that just never materializes. That happens sometimes. But regardless, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the general public knowing the truth every single day. It is coming. There's only two and a half weeks left until the cyber symposium. There is a lot to be hopeful about right now. So I hope everyone enjoys the weekend and I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Maston lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable. 
with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!